Blog Talk Radio. Season we did a uh, we did a Kentucky Derby preview show which was tons of fun but now it is football season again and uh, the Red Zone Sports Report is back and so uh, as usual I want to welcome to the show our college football guru live from Birmingham Alabama where uh, he just got off of his radio show not but an hour ago Mr Kip Kiefer Kip welcome back to the Red Zone Sports Report. Chip, I am so excited to be back in the red zone with Chip Lake, the one, the only, the man, the legend. It is going to be a great year of college football. I, uh, this, this past weekend was just spectacular. And uh, one, one note, too, on that special Kentucky Derby version of the red zone, I believe Kip Kiefer picked the winner, always dreaming in the Derby on that particular show. So I, I'm one for one. I believe for that's two years in a row that you've picked the winner, Kip. Yeah. So uh, yeah. don't just sell yourself short. It's been uh, the Red Zone Sports Report has done two Kentucky Derby previews, and um, and uh, you're two and zero oh in, in picking the winner in a large horse field so uh we very much look forward to that next year before we know it the kentucky derby will be on us but we got to go through football season first we're excited about that also want to welcome to the show mr savage burn steve butler steve welcome back onto the red zone good evening chip it's good to be back excited to talk a little football and of course uh the nfl i think was a pretty interesting opening weekend Oh, it was a right. fantastic opening weekend, and just like we do on uh, on just about all of our podcasts, we are uh, we are going to end the podcast with a uh, winners and losers series. So each one of the co-hosts uh, will pick out some winners and losers from the weekend sports at about nine oh five, nine ten Eastern time today. We are going to be joined by the Buffalo Bad Boy, Mister Pete Tasca. And Pete is going to join us for the uh, NFL kind of recap portion of the show when, when we talk about all the action in, uh, in pro football. So uh, 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 Pete will also have his winners and losers. Normally, guys, uh, we pick one winner and one, losers every na- one loser for the week every now and then. Um, we, uh, we get to expand off of that. I did that this week. I couldn't come up with one winner and one loser. I have four winners. And I have four <laughs> losers. Well, why do I have four winners and four losers? Because we haven't done a football podcast since January. So I think I'm entitled to a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of leeway on that. And I would encourage my other co-hosts to do the same if they so choose. But let's get right into it. We had some really good football games in college football this year. Uh, excuse me, this past Saturday. One of the disappointing things, though, and we'll start with this, 
Um, and I'm not just talking about Auburn's offensive line, although I will get to that. But uh, some incredible games this weekend. Auburn, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, Notre Dame, Stanford, Southern Cal. All these on their own would be worthy of game day coming and doing a feature there. It's unfortunate that all of the TV stations and the networks decided to play the games all in prime time. And uh, so uh, I only had uh, two TVs at my disposal and a laptop, so I could really only watch three TVs at once. Also tried to get a little bit of the NASCAR race, which was in Richmond. It was the night race in Richmond, which was the final race before the, uh, the playoff series. So it was a busy night in college football. The good thing for the Auburn Tigers, Kip, is that most of the country was probably watching something else. Because it was one of the more painful Auburn football. And full disclosure, for those that uh, are listening that might not know, uh, I'm an Auburn graduate. Uh, I bleed orange and blue. And, boy, I bled a lot on Saturday night, Kip. Uh, That was probably as pathetic of an offensive performance. And I don't say this lightly. It was probably as pathetic of an offensive performance as I have ever seen from the Auburn Tigers. And I've had a lot to choose from in the last three or four years. Kip, what happened to Auburn and Death Valley this weekend? I mean, the first two possessions were so encouraging. Um, they, they really came out and looked sharp. And let, let's, give, let's give the other side of the ball tremendous credit. Auburn's defense just played their hearts out. I, I, I tell you, I really liked their effort the week before. Georgia Southern's a quirky team that can be a giant pain. You remember uh, last year Nick Saban went off when somebody asked if he was going to arrest his regulars against a cupcake team coming in, and he com- totally admonished the reporter for the question. I guess you don't remember the Georgia Southern game from a couple years ago. They went through us like blank through a tin horn. I'm still trying to kind of figure that out. But uh, um, <laughs> Auburn just they did a great job of, of really stopping that quirky offense and, and went to Clemson and showed that was no fluke. They, uh, they played just a, a tremendous game. We're on the field constantly. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny in a football game, that first drive where they actually go for it on fourth and one and make it, get inside the 10. I, you know, it was almost like a flashback to last year's Clemson game. Remember, they got, in, sure they got inside the 10 four times in that game. Settled for two field goals, got stuffed on fourth down twice. It was almost like Gus Cabley uh, had lost his nerve. And after that, after those first two possessions where they settled for field goals, uh, I, what was it, nine straight possessions? I mean, 11 sacks, very little yardage gain, and never any kind of variation to the to the to the plot to the plan. It reminded me too of, and I keep I, sorry to harken back to last year. But it reminded me sort of the Georgia game last year for Auburn too. That when nothing was working, they just they just they just stuck with a bet. Is there no plan B in the Gus Malzahn offensive genius playbook? I mean, do something different. Try some different things. Try to roll the pocket. Uh, bring Sean White in. Do do something different because obviously it wasn't going to work. Stidham was getting killed. He had no place to go. The offensive line was being overwhelmed. They weren't opening any holes like they did on the initial drive. It was it was just painful to watch. It was very painful to watch, and and it was uh, it was so painful to watch that uh, um, when you looked at the statistics from after the game, Kip, 
it was completely indicative of the the game that we saw. Auburn only managed 68 yards of mm. total offense. 68 yards of total offense. And and all of that was in the first two drives. And uh, I yeah. tell you, I was not in Death Valley, Steve, to uh, uh, to uh, watch Auburn Clemson, but I, I was in Auburn for the first game against Georgia Southern. I was not happy with what I saw. The um, the final score was not indicative of uh, of the mistakes that Auburn made. Georgia Southern this year is a bad football team. I mean, there's just no way around it. I don't know that Tyson Summers, Georgia Southern's coach, makes it to the middle of the year. They're already calling for his head. They lost by 11 <laughs> points to New Hampshire this past weekend. That Georgia oh, Southern team is bad, bad, bad. And uh, I also saw a scared not scared. I saw a quarterback for Auburn and Jared Stidham that had fear in his eyes when somebody got close to him. And this was the Georgia Southern game, folks. And and look, um, the, the you know what what happened on Saturday. I don't know that you can put it, Steve, on the shoulders of Jared Stidham. He had absolutely no time to throw, um, but he did not get rid of the ball like he needs to get rid of. And certainly, this looks like yet again. Another overhyped Auburn quarterback who was completely hyped up before he even took a snap for the Tigers kind of reminds me a little bit of what happened to Jeremy Johnson two years ago. Candidly, Steve, through two games, I'm not so certain Jared Stidham is a lot better than Jeremy Johnson. What are your thoughts on on the Auburn quarterback situation? Wow, that is a dissatisfied yeah, customer yeah. right there. It's a no-win situation. We got nowhere to go. <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to go so far as to call Stidham Jeremy Johnson just yet because I think that might be the ultimate of put-downs in Auburn folklore. But um, <laughs> at true. the end of the That's day, what I did see, though, was horrible coaching at every level. And, and they had a great defensive game plan, but that's not Gus's uh, part of the game plan. And and yeah. to, to Kip's point, they didn't ever switch up anything. In fact, it's the mm-hmm. same plays that I saw when they went to a national championship a few years ago. They have no intermediate yeah. passing game. They don't call in any intermediate passes. They hardly ever do a curl or a slant. Everything is down the field. There's a reason he got sacked 11 times. He was constantly looking down the field without any shorter routes running underneath. Yeah. And I've never understood that about his system because all you got to do is run a couple underneath routes with those guys pushing the safeties deeper, and they're going to be wide open, um, especially with the linebackers kind of sitting on that option, uh, pass uh, run option that they can run. So I, I thought when Gus blew two timeouts on the first drive, that was off to a bad start. I mean, how do you do that? You've been preparing for this game really, you know, for, for 12 months. I know they had a – Well, Gus, Gus could write a book on how to blow early timeouts. He might hold the oh. record – of the number of timeouts that have been called as a head coach in the first quarter, it seems like he just uh, he has trouble kind of getting into the rhythm of the game. Um, completely trouble getting into the rhythm of the game. And look, I certainly hope Jared Stidham um, turns out to be uh, better than Jeremy Johnson was. But I got to tell you, he looked like a turtle in the Georgia Southern game. And he looked like a turtle in the Clemson game. In all fairness to him, I think there were a lot of quarterbacks that would have turtled against Clemson. Um, that's a good defense. There's no question about it. They are very solid. They are well coached. They play good fundamental football. They don't miss tackles. They they cover the gaps. They're quick. 
They're where they need to be. Brett Venables has them, uh, has a very, is, is a great coach, has a very stable program over there. Be a little bit different when they go to Papa John Stadium this Sunday. I got a feeling mm-hmm. the defense, Clemson's defense is going to be tested a little bit more than they were in Death Valley this this weekend for Auburn. We'll talk about that in just a little bit because we've got to run through all of these college games here in about 20, 25 minutes. So let me pivot a little bit to Sanford Stadium North. And, Kip, Sanford Stadium North, you're probably talking about, what are you talking about? But anybody who, no. saw, um, who saw what was going on in, uh, up in South Bend this weekend at Notre Dame Stadium, I don't know that I can ever remember a time where um, where it was almost 50-50 in the stands between um, uh, Notre Dame, a green and gold, and the red and black from Georgia. Georgia well-traveled. I think every Georgia fan I knew was in Chicago and South Bend this weekend. It was a double dip for Bulldog fans, and that the Falcons played. It opened on Sunday in Soldier Field in Chicago, got a win. We'll talk about that in the second hour. But um, what an impressive win for Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs to go up uh, after Jacob Eason, their starting quarterback, gets hurt in week one, and they have to go with a true freshman, a very talented true freshman by the name of Jake Fromm. That's a pretty big rock to give a kid on his first college start. Uh, Here you go, kid. Uh, You're going to South Bend and Notre Dame, and uh, you got to lead us to a victory. Uh, I think Georgia's defense can largely be credited for the victory, but um, but Jake Fromm uh, certainly held his own. He looked good. He's going to be a very good quarterback for that team. What did you see out of that game this weekend, Kip, up in South Bend? Well, I mean, the way the Georgia fans represented was just remarkable. And it, it, Every commentator, uh, Doug Flutie came on, and uh, he was doing the color on the game with Mike Tirico, uh, who had already, in his opening remarks, talked about the Georgia invasion. And uh, Doug Flutie said, you know, he, he'd never seen anything like it. It was just it – was, it was almost like being on the Georgia campus. They completely took over. They showed up early on Saturday. They tailgated at Notre Dame. They were everywhere. He said it was red and black all over the campus. It, it was, he said, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. That's the first time Georgia has ventured north of the Mason-Dixon line since 1965 which is just a astounding wow. uh, piece of information. They Vince Dooley yeah. took a team to Michigan in 65. That's the last time Georgia's ever played up north. And like you said, what an unprecedented opportunity for the ultimate weekend to get to go see the Falcons at Soldier Field. And not only that, on Friday at the Cubs game, uh, they honored uh, Vince Dooley and the Vince national Dooley. championship team from 1980. Vince Dooley threw out the first pitch and threw a perfect strike at 80-something years old. So – uh, yeah. Just the ultimate weekend for Georgia fans. As far as the game's concerned, uh, it may not have been that close if the uh, obligatory SEC crew of officials weren't on the job, who threw flags yeah. virtually on every play, penalized Georgia for 127 yards, six major penalties uh, in the game, and blew two scoring plays back-to-back. Uh, Georgia's first touchdown, a t- catch by Godwin, where he clearly got his foot down and had control of the ball, called incomplete on the field. Then the ensuing kickoff, uh, the Notre Dame guy knocked down at about the 40, landed on both elbows and forearms, gets up and runs the rest of the way, and the SEC crew declares it a touchdown. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, I tweeted today, I said, best conference, worst officials. I'm telling you, 
I don't yeah. know what Greg Sankey and the, and the boys down the street from where I'm sitting right now are running here, but you can always tell what the officiating, quote, point of emphasis is every year. Sure. They flag Georgia six times for either face masks or hands to the face and got Notre Dame for four of those fouls. So obviously, yeah. if you even come near somebody's face mask this year, it's going to be 15. Deal with it. But you, yeah. you really had to be proud of the Georgia defense if you're an SEC fan. I mean, Notre Dame had three 100-yard rushers the week before against Temple. Georgia stuffed them for 55 yards and 37 carries. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And uh, yeah. and the kid uh, from didn't do anything spectacular, but he didn't lose the game. He had a fumble and an interception. Um, but they uh, they definitely showed uh, a metal and an intensity throughout that game, particularly on the defensive end that you never saw in the Mark Rick era. He had many great players and many uh, outstanding stacked teams, but uh, Kirby Smart has brought a whole new level of commitment and attention and intensity there, and it's so obvious uh, watching watching that game for Georgia. I don't think Mark Rick wins that game in a million years if he was still at the helm. Interesting, interesting, Steve. Mm. Uh, I, I guess I, I – guess I, um... I guess I'm still a little skeptical about this Bulldog team. I mean, they uh, if you remember, Texas uh, Texas went into Notre Dame last year and beat the Irish as well, and it didn't work out real well for them. So, you know, I just no. don't know what to make out of this Georgia Bulldog team. I mean, is this a team that is for real, or is this a team that's going to end up like Texas did last year and have lofty expectations after an early season win against Notre Dame and not be able to uh, and not be able to meet those expectations? That's question number one Steve and then question number two is Georgia better off this is a crazy question but we got to talk about it are they better off with Jake Fromm at quarterback or uh, if uh, uh, when Jacob Eason gets healthier we're going to have a quarterback controversy thoughts on those two uh, on those two um, two topics Steve well, first thing, I think this Notre Dame team shouldn't even been ranked. I mean, they are a really bad football team, and Notre Dame might not have a winning record if it wasn't for some of the cream puffs on their schedule, but they do have some tough games also, and I think even Stanford probably beats them this year, and Stanford, after what we saw this weekend, could be up in the air as well. Oh, yeah. um, but I don't think, George, listen, 12 penalties, 126 yards, 4 of 18 on third down, you know, Notre Dame didn't have a quarterback. Their quarterback was 19 of 39, and, and anybody that watched the game, he missed wide-open receivers all game long, and Georgia's defense played yeah. well. But they, I, at the end of the day, I don't think Notre Dame was very good. I still think Kirby Smart is getting his feet as a coach. You see him overreacting on the sideline in the first quarter, much less in the fourth quarter. It's hard to make good decisions when you're jumping up and down in the air. Uh, I, I, I just <laughs> – I don't think you could out-coach Mark Rick. Let me tell you right now, I think that the Miami Hurricanes would come in and whoop Georgia in Athens in a way that would be painful, and I'm not just saying that for my wife. They have a much better football team. Um, but at, at the end of the day, Georgia will probably win the East because it's just amazingly bad. I mean, Tennessee's awful. South Carolina looked better than they are on Saturday because of their opponent. It's probably not that good either. We'll see once they play someone else. But I think Georgia's overrated right now. I think you'll see them drop out of the 20 once they get into SEC play. Yeah, I tell you, Steve, it um... – Oh, and I, I didn't answer your part about Jake. from. I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't answer that question. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Absolutely, absolutely. And sorry, then I'll, I'll go ahead of, and give you my thoughts on Jake Fromm, but go ahead and give me your thoughts on Jake, uh, Jake Fromm and Jacob Eason and the quarterback situation. 
I mean, Fromm appears to have a little bit more touch on, on the shorter passes, but Jacob Beeson threw 13 touchdowns and only two picks as a, as a freshman in the SEC. You've got to let him play, and he's shown the propensity to win big games sometimes. So, Jacob Beeson all day. Couldn't agree more. Interesting, man, interesting. I, I uh, you know, the, the, the reputation that Eason has at, at Georgia is somebody who uh, really enjoys the nightlife and the downtown scene and somebody whose first priority at Georgia is not football but the ladies and the social life. And uh, Jake <laughs> Fromm, to me, seems like your complete and to- total complete quarterback. He's got a good football IQ. I didn't think he would come in and start this year. Um, the only reason he has is because of the unfortunate injury to Eason. But it'll be interesting. Um, I was, uh, as I had shared, uh, uh, as I had shared with uh, Kip when I did uh, when I called into a, a sports show that uh, he was hosting in in Birmingham uh, shortly uh, towards the end of the summer. Um, had an opportunity this year to go to the Manning Passing Academy just outside of New Orleans with my son, and it was a fantastic four days. I would certainly recommend it to anybody who has a, a, a kid that's either in high school or in eighth grade and is evaluating what summer camps to go to. This is one you've got to put on your schedule. Um, if for no other reason, it seemed like all the Division One starting college quarterbacks were there. Now, Baker Mayfield wasn't there, and we'll talk about that in a little bit when we talk about the Oklahoma-Ohio State game. But, you know, just about all of them are there. And, and on Saturday evening of the camp, um, they have uh, what they call uh, – uh, actually, I'm sorry, it was Friday evening. It's Friday Night Lights. And, and all the quarterbacks go through a skills competition. And I tell you, it is fun to watch – 30 to 35 of the best college quarterbacks in the country doing a skills competition on the field at the same time. You just don't – when are you ever going to get to – you know, when do they ever have an opportunity to, to show off their skills and to compete against each other? Normally it's one-on-one on the field. Here you got 30, 35 kids on the field. So they would go through three sets of hitting golf carts that had targets on them, and, and one golf cart kind of ran a, a 15 – a 15-yard crossing route. The other one ran about a 25-yard crossing route. And then the final golf cart ran a fly. And it was pouring rain, pouring rain. And um, most all the quarterbacks hit the first golf cart. About half of the quarterbacks hit the second golf cart. And in, in um, any type of two rounds, and so, uh, you know, you had 35 chances in each round. Of those 70 chances, I bet the last golf cart only got hit nine times. Jacob Eason hit the last golf cart both times. He was the only one to hit it both times, but he was also the only quarterback to miss the first golf cart both times. <laughs> and it, it's kind of indicative of what his reputation is there. That He doesn't have any touch at all in the short passes, but he's got an absolute gun. And um, I look forward, Steve, to a quarterback controversy at Georgia uh, <laughs> if and when he becomes, uh, he becomes ready to, to get ready. But let, let's go ahead. we got a couple more games to talk about, and then uh, we got to switch and talk about NFL football, and we'll welcome the Buffalo bad boy, Pete Taskey. We'll talk about all the action in the NFL. But let's talk about Oklahoma-Ohio State this week. Unfortunately, as I mentioned early, um, it was on at the same time as all the other games that we were trying to watch. But um, I tell you, Baker Mayfield is a talented player. 
He might have uh, some uh, issues he needs to work out as far as being a leader and making good decisions off of the football field, but you can't question the kid's talent on the football field. Um, At Ohio State, 27 for 35, 386 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, absolutely put on a show. And to be candid with you, I didn't think the game was this close. Oklahoma 31, Ohio State 16. Kip, is this Ohio is this Oklahoma team that good or is this Ohio State team and I hate I hesitate to say it um, overrated because there's never been an Ohio State team that's been overrated. But what's oh, the what you make out of this game, Kip? Well, I mean it, it's just amazing the exact turnaround from a year ago in Norman where Everybody was shocked that Ohio State went there and had their way. Um, and right back here in Columbus, you get a, basically a repeat and reverse. But it, I think, I think you hit on the on the on the key to the game. Uh, it, it, it's Baker Mayfield who is Brett Favre like, uh, and Brett Favre wasn't Brett Favre till he got to the NFL. Uh, I think Baker Mayfield uh, is that just that kind of guy. He plays on guts and instinct, and he makes plays, and he's a winner. Um, I, you know, he, 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 I think he was the difference in the game. JT Barrett in say, what is this, his seventh or eighth year at Ohio state? Um, yeah. seems like he's been there yeah. since back in the Woody Hayes era. Um, he can't throw the ball down the field and don't have any receivers to get open. So if the formula no. against Ohio state, if you can get ahead of them, they're done. Um, that's yeah. how Penn state beat them last year. Penn state blocked a couple of kicks. I think they may, may have run a, a, a pick six back. Ohio State got behind. Remember, they had like three drives at the end of the game and could not go anywhere. Uh, this is just yeah. an offense that and, – and I don't know. I've always thought Ohio State, too, is one of the luckiest teams in the world. They always seem to make those kind of plays. And maybe, uh, you know, it, when that doesn't happen, uh, they really got exposed in this game. They were supposed to have the best defensive front in the country. They got just dominated in the second half by the Sooner front. Um, you know, you put Clemson, uh, what, what they're showing with their front four uh, against Ohio State, who was purported to be better, and it's a, yeah, that's oh. a joke. Um, Oklahoma oh, yeah. just absolutely went in and owned that game, pushed them around, and when you get Ohio State behind, they're in big trouble because they are not explosive. They can't throw the ball down the field. They can't. And uh, JT Barrett looked like a deer in headlights in the second half of he that did. game at home. And he's got so much um, experience. Which, was, uh, which I didn't expect to see. But, Steve, how about a big shout-out to the Oklahoma Sooners' true freshman running back, <laughs> Mr. Trey Sermon. Sprayberry High School here in Cobb County, Georgia, the home of the Savage Burn and myself. Um, really happy for Trey Sermon. I've, I've watched I him play a couple games of uh, high school football and uh, was surprised when Oklahoma picked him up. I, I knew that Trey Sermon was a talented young kid, um, but I really didn't think that he would have the opportunity to go in and start as a true freshman for the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, against Ohio State. And, Steve, not only did Trey Sermon start, he had 87 uh, all-purpose yards when you include the receptions that he had, and he got into the end zone. So uh, uh, give us your thoughts on uh, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and uh, what, what you saw out of, uh, out of Trey Sermon this week uh, in, uh, in Columbus. Well, I thought Trey did a, did a great job considering who he was playing and where he was playing them. And I played a couple of games on Trey's field at Sprayberry before he was born, actually. So I, I definitely yeah. have a hometown <laughs> field for him. 
Um, but listen, guys, you know what really makes me sick is that because no one else is really on Ohio State's schedule, I don't count Michigan and Penn State, who I think are both overrated and shouldn't be in the top ten, is that they're going to lose this game and they're still going to make the playoff because of how weak their schedule is and because they lost to a top-five team in week one. It's the same story we've looked at for 30 years with Ohio State. With one loss, they're going to get an opportunity to maybe play for a national championship, and they don't deserve it. And, I, you know, I appreciate Trey's performance, but the thing that's really bothering me is that Ohio State's probably going to run the rest of their schedule and get an opportunity to play for a national championship. And the only team they played all year dressed them down severely. Um, and to your mm-hmm. point, Chip, this was a better beating than it looked from the scoreboard. They, they just owned them on the offensive line. Um, and to hold Ohio State to just 167 yards on 40 carries is, is unbelievable. Um, that's, that's playing defense, and that's typically been Oklahoma's real problem. They've always been able to score points. Baker Mayfield is not a new story. It's whether or not they can play defense or not. And they showed – on last Saturday, they can play defense, which puts Oklahoma, I think, in a new conversation about being a contender. No question, and Steve, you're 100, you're 110% right on Ohio State, but there are two teams in the country that can lose two games and, and still make it into the playoffs, and that's the Alabama Crimson Tide and Ohio State. And Alabama, Alabama has proven time and time again that they would be deserving of that of that uh, of that two loss moniker. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, Nick Saban doesn't want to lose two football games and test that, and he might not yet again. Um, but you know, that being said, you're 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 exactly right. Ohio State can lose another ball game, and in all likelihood, they are most likely in the NCAA Final Four playoffs. Let's talk about one more game, guys, and then we're going to take a short break, and we're going to welcome the Buffalo Bad Boy Pete Tasca, and we're going to talk a little bit of NFL, but uh, a big game out on the West Coast between Southern Cal and Stanford. Southern Cal came out. All the hype in the offseason about Sam Darnold. Um, Got to give the kid credit the way he ended last year, but he wasn't even the starter going into last year. Uh, I think he got in in week three or four uh, with um, with the injury um, of, uh, of drawing a blank now, Kip, the first-grade quarterback. But he made the most of it. But I, I've not seen hype for a quarterback in a long time. Uh, like I have for Sam Darnold. And it looked like in the first game, I think it was Central Michigan, Western Michigan, um, South Michigan, one of those uh, MAC teams that they really underperformed. <laughs> it and Darnold ended up uh, throwing two picks and no touchdowns. Uh, boy, I tell you what, he really proved the doubters wrong this weekend as uh, Southern Cal just went in and steamrolled Stanford 42 to 24. I got to tell you, uh, I don't know that I saw that coming. I, I think uh, I think Stanford. Uh, I think I had Stanford in my pick'em that week, which is uh, probably why Darnold went out and did that. But the game wasn't even that close. Uh, total yards was uh, uh-uh. 622 total yards for Southern Cal, and uh, they they uh, Stanford only had 331, so it was two to one. Kip, your thoughts on Southern Cal? Is this football team for real? And is Sam Darnold the best foot, the best quarterback in the country? Right now, you you could certainly make an argument. You know, I, after I, I I I'm on board with Mayfield, but I I do like Darnold right up alongside. Uh, I I really like USC in this game. You know, Western Michigan was the team under PJ Fleck last year that you went through their schedule undefeated and beat a couple of Big Ten teams before losing to Wisconsin in their bowl game. 
But, uh, you know, so they have – I mean, they're, they're a legitimate smaller school opponent. I think USC was looking ahead to Stanford, and Western Michigan kind of pushed them around a little bit in their opener. But I think that really poised the Trojans to uh, come out and give their best effort in game two, while Stanford, I think, just, just destroyed Rice or somebody. I thought everybody was jumping on the Stanford bandwagon a little early. They were pretty disappointing last year, and uh, I, I – I, I wanted to see proof that they had their house totally in order, and I did not see that on Saturday. So um, USC certainly has the personnel. They finished as one of the hottest teams in the in the country last year, winning nine in a row, and uh, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. And Darno's definitely the real deal. So um, that was the game that probably suffered the most in my viewing. I, I was able to keep up pretty well with the other three that I was watching. Didn't get to watch uh, that one as, as, as in-depth as I'd like, but uh, it became apparent pretty early that it wasn't going to be that great a game anyway because Southern Cal just looked so much better in every facet of the game. They certainly did. Mr. Savage Burns, Steve, your thoughts on Southern Cal Stanford, and then we'll take a short break and we'll talk NFL football on the other end of the break. I mean, to be truthful, I find the Pac-2 hardly tolerable to watch. It is so bad. <laughs> the defense, the lack of blocking – they put up a lot of points, and I get it. There's nothing else to watch at 11 and 30 at night on the East Coast. It's just really bad football. But, you know, they ran for 300 yards. Sam Darnold had a, had a good game with four touchdowns. But at the end of the day, seven yards of carry and 50 rushes, um, you're going to steamroll anybody. Amen, man. I couldn't agree more, Steve. Hey, guys, let's take a quick break. We're going to take about a 60-second break. And on the other end of the break, we are going to welcome to the show for the first time this season, the Buffalo <laughs> Bad Boy, Mr. Pete Tasca. And not only are we welcoming him back to the show, but we are doing so on the heels of a win in week one by the Buffalo Bills. Now, they were playing the New York Jets, but they did win the football game, and so they're 1-0. So when you look up the standings right now in the NFL – and all the teams, the Buffalo Bills are, are 1-0. So we're going to talk about that in, in a minute, along with a host of other storylines. I don't know that I've ever seen a week one in the NFL where we had more storylines than we have this week. So going to take a quick 60-second break, and then uh, we'll come back talk NFL football. Season. We are going to be with you every Tuesday evening 
between now and the Super Bowl. We'll probably take a week off around Christmas and New Year's. Uh, we'll have to see. We'll certainly do a, uh, a, a football ball show. But every Tuesday between now and the Super Bowl, we're going to be back with you. Um, I'm going to do my best to be here every week. Um, we are joined most weeks, and we're thankful to have them. Our uh, esteemed co-host, as we had in the first 30 minutes of the show, the our college football guru, Kip Kiefer, from Birmingham, Alabama, straight back from WJOX, where he got off the air only about an hour and a half ago. Kip, thanks again for joining us. And then we've also got Mr. Savage Burns, Steve Butler. Uh, Steve was kind enough to join us uh, for the first hour, and uh, he's going to be joining us for the final segment that we have, the NFL segment. And then uh, Mr. Matt Metcalf is uh, going to be joining us uh, this season. Uh, and Matt's going to be able to join us probably about once a month, uh, maybe twice a month for our show. We're, um, we're going to mix it up a little bit as we go through the season. So uh, we look forward to welcoming Matt. We're also going to welcome to the Red Zone Sports Report this year, uh, Cole Musio. Cole cannot join us this evening, uh, but Cole is a, um, is a contributor at Breitbart Sports and uh, also runs an NFL draft, uh, uh, NFL draft website. And uh, we're going to have uh, Cole on about once a month, so we look forward to having both Matt and Cole on. But uh, we welcome to Mr. Savage Burn the first hour, Mr. Kip Kiefer. We now want to welcome back to the show, after a long hiatus, the Buffalo bad boy, Mr. Pete Tasca. Pete, welcome back to the Red Zone Sports Report. Thank you, Chipper. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, gentlemen. How are we doing tonight? Man, we're doing great. Why don't you go ahead and talk to us a little bit about the game that everybody was watching on Sunday. Everybody was watching on Sunday, the Buffalo Bills and the the New York Jets. Um, I I know you probably had a better seat for that game, Pete, than anybody, than any other NFL fan in the country, probably because it only showed in those two markets. But nonetheless, (laughs) tell us a little bit about how your Bills looked this weekend against the Jets. Well, I'll tell you what, Chip. If I may, first off, you you fellas are just great when it comes to the college football coverage. It's excellent, with the exception, of course, of the slights on the pack. Did he call it the Pack 2 the Savage Burn? <laughs> I think he did. Yeah, it's the Pack 2. There's only two teams in the conference. Let's give a little credit where credit's due out there to the Trojans. They, they look like they're a formidable squad this year. But anyhow, uh, it looks like the New York Jets will be taking Sam Darnold number one in the draft if he declares after his sophomore <laughs> season this year. And make no mistake about it, he will be the number one pick in the draft, uh, barring any types of injuries. But, um, Yes, you know, there weren't too many people tuned into that game, Chip. I mean, it's understandable. Not a lot of expectations for either team, especially the New York Jets. I mean, it's just so apparent that they're in tank mode, and it's borderline embarrassing. But, you know, in typical Buffalo Bills fashion, uh, we go into this football game, and, and, and if I may, just, just to set, set the, uh, the, the tone for the new year, the 2017 Buffalo Bills, I know we go on and on and on about this football team, and, and people who do listen to this podcast must say, why are they talking about the Buffalo Bills every, every week? Nobody cares about the Buffalo Bills but the Buffalo Bad Boy. But the bottom line is they're, they're an intrigue. They're an intrigue because of the, the losing streak that's been, been ongoing for 17 consecutive years, I guess. And when it finally breaks, when the dam finally breaks, it's going to be glorious. And hopefully it'll be this year highly unlikely. All of that to say, 
The Buffalo Bills had this game in hand early on, and in typical Bills fashion, they let the Jets stay in the ball game. About midway through the third quarter, the Savage Bird will tell you, Bills Nation was, was nervous. We were anxious. Everybody was yelling at the TV, we're going to blow this game. We're going to blow this game. And sure as could be, we didn't. <laughs> Thankfully, we didn't. They took care of business. Sean McDermott, the new head coach of the Buffalo Bills, formerly of the uh, Carolina Panthers, previously of the Philadelphia Eagles, the Eagles defensive coordinator. Um, he's done an excellent, excellent job with this, with this organization. Um, from the very beginning when he came in here, right around April of this year or so, brought in Brandon Bean, his general manager from the Carolina Panthers as well. He was an assistant GM over there in Carolina. And they've done an excellent job of really wiping the slate uh, really clean. Uh, I, I mean, with, with the exception of the Marcel Dariuses of the world, uh, the, the, the slate is clean. The cupboards were, you know, pretty much bare, with the exception of, of Shady McCoy and maybe Tyrod Taylor, if you like him. But um, the Bills handled business this week. The New York Jets, they're, they're just, they're like a JV team, let, let's be honest. And, and Buffalo did what they needed to do. Uh, the, the true test now comes up uh, this week against the Carolina Panthers. They're going home. Right away, week two, McDermott's going home, Bean's going home. It's actually a great opportunity for the Buffalo Bills to really gauge where they're at and for the, the fans to really get an accurate gauge of what this football team is going to be this year because there's no doubt the Carolina Panthers are a better football team on paper than the Buffalo Bills without question. But with the emotion attached to this game and, and the fact that I think the Bills match up relatively well, which is, you're not going to be able to say that much this year when the Bills are, are facing yeah. up against whomever they're playing this year. Um, I like I like what I'm seeing um, of course, it all it all hinges on Cam Newton at the end of the day, and what kind of game, what kind of uh, what kind of performance is Cam Newton going to put on the field? He's a wild card this year, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about it a bit as well. But a great first win for the Buffalo Bills in first place, exclusively in the AFC East. How good is that? And and one game ahead of the New England Patriots. Oh goodness gracious! Isn't it wonderful? Hey, but Chip, Chip, <laughs> we'll talk. Yes, sir. Chip. You should have seen the text line for, for the Buffalo people during the game. You would have thought they were losing by 40. It's amazing. But anyway. <laughs> well, no, I was yeah, going to say, look, I, I understand it was no the doubt. New York Jets. <laughs> and, I understand, and I understand you expected to win. You did. But, you know, you can't win all 16 if you don't win the first one. And you won the first one. So, at the Amen. end of the day, I do think this is a very intriguing game this weekend. I mean, Carolina goes across the country and absolutely dominates the San Francisco 49ers. And, look, it was the 49ers. Uh, but, you know, that being said, it was a, it was a road game week one, um, you know, on, on the West Coast. It was never close. It's going to be very interesting to see if there's a letdown. This Carolina Panther team um, in the past has not been very consistent. Um, uh, with the with the exception of the year where they won all their football games until the end, um, you know, last year they were all over the board. The year before they were all over the board. Very curious to see what happens this year. Of course, I think I I, I think I jinxed Zay Jones, the rookie wide receiver 
from East Carolina, <laughs> big playmaker. Um, I, he was kind of my sleeper for rookie of the year. He caught one pass for 24 yards on Sunday. So um, there's a reason he's a sleeper for rookie of the year. He's going to start uh, getting more production as the uh, as the year goes on. But uh, Steve Butler, Mr. Savage Burn, a tremendous amount of storylines this weekend in week, in week one. Which one of the storylines could have kind of stood out to you as as very intriguing as we go on into week two of the NFL season? Well, I think there's probably three or four. Uh, you know, you kind of expected Chuck Pagano and the Colts to be a mess, but not that much of a mess against oh, that team. Wow. And, wow, did Alex Smith look like Tom Brady or what? I mean, that was fantastic. Oh, but um, at the end of the day, I thought Jacksonville was the biggest surprise. They were a complete yeah. mess in the preseason. They've been a mess ever since they've been a football team, except for their two years under Tom Coughlin. Um, wow. I mean, we knew Houston wasn't going to be that good, but I didn't expect Jacksonville to look like a, you know, a Super Bowl contender or against anybody. So I think Jacksonville was probably the biggest surprise. Um, you know, I think the biggest disappointment might've been Cincinnati to score zero points yeah. against a, a suspect Baltimore team whose defense isn't what it used to be. And quite frankly, Cincinnati's got quite a few offensive tools I think that's it's hard to believe that the longest reigning head coach outside of Bill Belichick is Marvin Lewis. Um, so, anyways, I, I, I think those are probably your biggest kind of headlines from the week. But give Alex Smith the, the player of the week, if you will, for his performance against New England in New England. Incredible performance. And, Kip, I, uh, uh, if, if I had one takeaway from week one, I, I probably got to agree with Steve. I, I think the game that, that – uh, well, two games kind of stood out, but uh, the game that most surprised me uh, was Jacksonville. I mean, they had a 19-point lead at halftime. I mean, the Jacksonville Jaguars, when was the last time in a regular season game they had a 19-point lead? And this team was, certainly the quarterback position, was just a disaster in the preseason. And normally that's when they're really quiet. And they're not making a whole lot of news, but a big, big offseason uh, pickup with Calais Campbell. They look like they're finally healthy. It's been a long time. They've really stockpiled up on defensive picks in the NFL draft, and it, it seems like uh, it seems like they're as snakebit as the Philadelphia 76ers are in the NBA draft. As soon as they take a kid in the first round, um, he goes out with the season-ending injury, and they have to wait until year two to play him. But this Jacksonville defense looked really, really good. And if Blake Bortles is just called upon to manage the game and not win the game for him, is this a team that can make a playoff run? Yeah, he didn't. Get, I didn't hear him get back on, Chip. We lost Kip. We lost Kip. Pete, uh, you, you and Steve, take that. Do you really think uh, you think this Jacksonville team can make a playoff run? Well, you know what, Chip. It, it, it's hard to say, obviously, after after week one. But but you know, the the early returns are. This team looks like they could be for real, and and then you couple that with the fact that is. As the burn mentioned, Indianapolis is a complete mess. They don't know when Andrew Luck's going to get back. By the time he does get back, it, it may be, you know, a quarter of the season gone. They're 0-4, 0-5, and it's pretty much over from there. Houston, who could have foreseen a team that, that was getting a few whispers as a Super Bowl contender possibly 
with arguably the best defense in football. I think they ended last season as statistically the number one defense in the league. What is going on there? I don't think that Deshaun Watson is going to be able to uh, put that team on his back. I like what I saw out of him in the second half of that game in, in the face of a lot of pressure and, and just a lot going on in that football game. Um, but I just don't like what I see, and, and it all comes back to is the bird often, often loves to sight, and he's typically correct. The offensive line was just atrocious in Houston. So you, you couple that with, you know, Tennessee being arguably the front runner in that division along with Houston, they struggled against Oakland. I didn't like what I saw out of Tennessee in the preseason. It's tough to gauge what's going to be or what isn't going to be in the preseason, but they kind of came out of the gate quiet. They couldn't get anything going in that football game against Oakland. And then you got Jacksonville with Tom Coughlin and Doug Marone. You got two old school, if I may, hard ass football coaches basically running that organization. Now, as you said, Blake Bortles, if they can keep him in that game management mode, and lest we lest we forget, Leonard Fournette absolutely looked the part in that football game. I mean, he looked well, he like really he did, was the next coming of Adrian Peterson or whoever you want to compare him to. He looked the part, and as you mentioned, with that defense, a lot of high picks, a lot of uh, high-priced free agents on the defensive line that they brought in. Malik Jackson, you mentioned Calais Campbell. I mean, this team looks like it could be for real, but let's not get too excited because they are the Jaguars. You never know, but it was a great, great start. I would not be surprised if they made a run to win that division this year and, and obviously grab a playoff spot along with it. Absolutely. Yeah, and when was the last time that team was 1-0? I haven't looked it up, but I imagine it would be a while. T.J. Yeldon didn't even play in that game. He had a hamstring. He's looking to be back maybe this week, if not this week, probably week three. So if if you don't – you know, if Leonard Fournette is not called upon to carry the ball 25 times a game and and he can be – you know, you can – you could put a T.J. Yeldon in, give him seven, eight, nine carries, put him on in some different sets and different looks. You know, um, you, uh, you, you, you don't risk putting Fournette on the field. You know, 80, 75, 80% of the snaps, you might be able to keep him healthy over a 16-game season a little bit longer. That's definitely going to be interesting. Um, the game, too, is the second game, and Steve, you had mentioned it. I mean, is this – can this Rams team be for real? Uh, obviously, it's tough to extrapolate a lot of things out of week one. Uh, when we look back at week one last year, there were a lot of surprises. And then some teams that, that really didn't show up real well in week one turned it around week two or three. And then some teams that had some maybe some surprise wins or some fluke wins in week one, you know, they kind of turned back to what who they thought we were going to be in week two or three. So I think we need two or three games into the season, probably three games into the season in order to make evaluations and to make predictions on where teams are going. But I tell you what, if you're, um, if you're Sean McVay, the 31 year old head coach from the, uh, uh, the Rams uh, head coach, Steve, who, uh, Played quarterback just down the road at, uh, I believe it was Lovett or Marist or Pace Academy, one of the private schools here in Metro Atlanta. And um, given the fact that he's a 31-year-old head coach, it wasn't long ago when he was taking snaps on Friday night. But uh, um, certainly looks like he's done a number in the offseason or in the preseason on Jared Goff. So, Steve, uh, what are your thoughts on this Rams team? Uh, if you remember, I think they won week one last year, too, and then went on to uh, – 
and then went on to do what the Rams normally do. So, uh, But they have a different head coach this year, different mindset. They've kind of settled into their new market. You know, their, their first-round quarterback is now in his second year. Um, Todd Gurley looks to be healthy. Is this a team that can make a run? Uh, no. <laughs> I, don't think they, I don't think they've got Not even taken. giving them a chance. No, not at all. Listen, when I watched the Falcons play the Rams last year, and I hate to say this because Jeff Fisher, you know, formerly had a pretty good reputation. It was the worst coaching job in the history of the NFL. It really was. I've never seen disorganization like that. Um, But at the end of the day, it was the players, too. Um, So, listen, Todd Gurley had 40 yards on 20 carries. As long as that continues, Jared Goff will eventually start to get killed again. And the, the Colts, yeah, that's honestly, right. might the, the Colts might be the worst team in the NFL. Uh, I, they're bad. I mean, I hate to tell everybody they're really, really bad. And Andrew Luck has ended up not being the player that people thought he was. He's a very good quarterback, but he's not the savior of of a entire franchise like Peyton Manning was. And and the Colts' defense is horrible. They can't run the football. They have a 98 year old running back. The Rams aren't much better. But I'm going to get back to your former question because I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are much more interesting. Look at Miles Jack. I mean, that that guy had almost 10 tackles in in finally getting on the football field. I think they're young defenders. Gibson had an interception. I mean, they've got some really – Dante Fowler's finally getting on the field, making plays. They've got some intriguing players, and I think they do have an opportunity to win that division. I'll go ahead. I think the Jaguars are FC South. Oh, there you go. Big prediction. I think we've got Kip Kiefer back with us. Kip, we've been talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars and uh, and the Los Angeles Rams, the two teams that really kind of stood out this week as uh, kind of eyeballed, you know, raising your eyebrow teams, uh, not teams that really did a lot better than I think a lot of people expected. So, Kip, what are your thoughts on uh, the Rams and Jaguars? Are either one of these two teams playoff teams, or was this just uh, – was just just a week one win, and uh, we're going to see the same Rams and the same Jaguars as we normally see as we get in through the season. Well, I think you guys made all the pertinent points. The Jaguars have been stockpiling picks for several years, and then a lot of these guys kind of came to fruition. Um, Yeah, and with Leonard Fournette and Bortles, Bortles has shown flashes. I mean, I'm not totally surprised that he managed the game pretty effectively. Um, I, I think the, the, the suspect quest answer to the question is you guys also touched on. I agree with Steve. I don't. I, mean, I look at the Colts personnel and they just look awful. Oh. Um, it's yeah. just, you know when Frank Gore, who's uh, you know I think he came in the league the same year as Gale Sayers. When he's your feature back, um, I, you know I, I think that's a little bit of a problem. Um, they got yeah. T.Y. Hilton, but but uh, anyway, the, the, the team just looks like a train wreck. So the Rams had a lot of momentum and a new young coach and then are revitalized. And I, I, I think uh, you guys had touched on the Marvin Lewis situation in Cincinnati. I think Jeff Fisher had just been there too long. Marvin Lewis has been there too long by four or five years. So I, I'm not so sure. I'm going to wait and see 15. on both those teams. The Jaguars division is, is pretty suspect still. We just talked about the Colts. You know, the Titans look like a team that could be – could be pretty solid, but I, I, I still don't know how explosive they're going to be. Uh, they'll win some tough, tight games. And, uh, you know, and the Texans are another big question mark. I mean, they, they really couldn't score any points last year, and I didn't see much improvement. Uh, everybody blamed Blake Osweiler, and rightly so. Um, but uh, this is a team, Deshaun Watson, didn't take him long to get in the lineup. 
So uh, we'll, they're they're definitely a big question mark too. So that division is in such disarray. I would I would tend to think the Jaguars have a decent chance to be to come out on top. So Steve's prediction may not be that outlandish. Yeah, unless you had mentioned Kip uh, Andrew Luck, and so let's talk about injuries for just a little bit. If you're Andrew Luck and you're rehabbing an injury, I mean you you can't watch what happened. On Sat on Sunday on the field and say, man, I'm ready to get back. You're, I think you're thinking, can't wait. I need I need to make sure I'm 110 percent before I get out there because if I'm not, I'm gonna get killed. Look, they need yeah. leadership. They need Andrew Luck, but you weren't gonna win that game on Sunday with Andrew Luck. It was too lopsided. There were too many things going wrong for the Colts. It's hard to imagine that a healthy Andrew Luck can all of a sudden make all the problems that existed for the Indianapolis football team on Sunday go away. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Odell Beckham did not play in week one, and the New York Giants offense looked hapless. Um, Pete Taska, I'm going to go to you. As normal, there are more injuries in the NFL and more torn ACLs in the NFL in week one and two than in any other two-week stretch in the season. Folks are getting into football shape. Um, they're uh, – uh, they didn't, you know, most of the star players didn't play a lot during the preseason. They got in, you know, some series here and there. And week one was no different this year. Uh, David Johnson, the consensus number one fantasy football pick, uh, running back for uh, the Arizona Cardinals. We learned today that his wrist is going to require surgery. And so they're saying he's going to be out two to three months. Um, Danny Woodhead, Danny just can't catch a break. He's missed the most of uh, uh, the last two seasons with different type of injuries um, and uh, got an injury in the first quarter uh, as a Baltimore Raven. It was a non-contact injury. Um, Guys, he hurt his hamstring breaking the huddle. So um, very, very bad sign for Danny Woodhead. I saw on Twitter just before this podcast started, they're saying he's out six to eight weeks. That's not good for Danny Woodhead. Uh, Allen Robinson tears his ACL for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, he is out. Kevin White sustained a shoulder injury for the Chicago Bears. Reuben Foster. Uh, I was really curious to see what Reuben Foster was going to do um, uh, was going to do at San Francisco this year. Uh, he ended up getting carted off in the first quarter in the uh, Carolina Panthers game. So some some big, and there's a lot more too. I mean, the Houston Texans. One of the reasons they might have gotten crushed is they had five guys leave the game with concussions or what they believe to be concussions. I don't know that that's ever happened before. So um, they might want to check the air in the helmets to make sure they have it. But uh, Eric Berry, too, I forgot to mention Eric Berry and Danny Amendola. Eric Berry, probably the the most difficult story, ruptured his Achilles tendon on the Thursday game. Um, And I believe that was a non-contact injury as well. And so Eric Berry has been placed on injured reserve, and he will not be playing football in the 2017 season. So even before the first Sunday um, of the NFL season, Eric Berry from uh, from Kansas City goes down. Pete, what are your thoughts? I mean, uh, you know, these injuries always affect not only the storylines, it affects the DNA of a team, certainly affects everybody's fantasy football team. So, uh, you know, which one of the injuries that you saw in week one do you think is most concerning for some of these teams? 
Well, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious that, you know, the, these injuries, especially as you mentioned, Chip, in, in you know, the first couple of weeks of the season, it, it, it's chronic. It, it happens every year. There's just a rash of them. And, and, you know, once teams are able to weather that storm a little bit, you know, that they're able to stabilize. And, and it's a bummer. It's a bummer for the player. It's a bummer for the team. It's a bummer for the organization, the fans, the fantasy footballers out there, as you mentioned. Um, I, I think the Eric Berry injury is, is going to be very, very significant in Kansas City. That team uh, really, I, I would imagine, surprised most folks in that, that ball game on Thursday night against the New England Patriots. We knew they had a strong defense, no question about it. Uh, obviously, Alex Smith, the way he outdueled Tom Brady, thoroughly outdueled Tom Brady, was just stunning. But Eric Berry was, was pretty much dominating that football game on the defensive side of the ball, keeping Kansas City in the game uh, on a couple of yeah. fourth and shorts where typically – uh, New England will convert those easily, almost like clockwork. I mean, you could just pencil it in. Eric Berry was in yeah. the mix on, on both of those to uh, to snuff it, snuff it out, and, and keep them, uh, you know, from continuing to march down the field, turning the ball over. That's a tough, tough injury because he was he was starting to peak again and become that that yeah. great football player that he was in college that we all know about that he had started to become before the uh, the cancer couple of years ago, and, and it's just a shame. Uh, that's just a tough injury uh, to overcome. Obviously, you know, Odell didn't make it on the field for the New York Giants. And, you know, you can say that it was a product of Odell Beckham, the reason why the Giants laid such a stinky egg on Sunday night. Um, and and there's, there's no doubt that he's a huge factor in that football team and their ability to possibly make a run in the NFC this year. But it, it's, what, what is so maddening to me about the New York Giants, and I've never been a Giants fan, I've rooted for the Giants twice in my life, and it's both times when they beat Tom Brady and the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. That's about it. But that's Eli Manning. You know, as great as Eli Manning is in, in his own right, now he's not your, your classic great quarterback. There's no question about it. And that game on Sunday night is the exact reason why people still debate whether or not Eli Manning yeah. is a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback. I think you've got to yeah. give him the gold jacket after he retires because of the two Super Bowls, those two great victories I just mentioned. But the guy is so eggs like that in big football games over and over and over and over again, and he can never pull out of the funks. If he starts a game cold, yeah. it's almost without fail. He is going to end that football game cold just the same. He rarely ever will bring his football team back from, from the brink or back in the fourth quarter. It's happened, I know, I don't cite any statistics just yet. You you folks know exactly what I'm talking about. In a big football game, opening week, against, quite frankly, a decent, decent NFL Dallas Cowboy defense, they could do absolutely nothing. The, the tight end that they, they drafted from, from Ole Miss, Brandon Marshall, Sterling Shepard in the second year, they should have been able to make some hay, and they got nothing doing, nothing going on. It's a good thing they did not bring Odell Beckham back soon and, and force him into the lineup on, on Sunday night because, you know, we all know how those high ankle sprains, they can linger, and that's an injury right there. He may not even play this week, and I would imagine he doesn't because if that injury lingers, that team's in trouble and it's not going anywhere this year, in my opinion, the New York Giants. Yeah, it's in deep trouble, and Brandon Marshall – didn't even get a catch until uh, 34 seconds left in the game, a garbage catch. I mean, uh, the announcers were talking about how uh, 
you know, uh, he's had a catch in every game he's played since 2008. And it uh, certainly looked like that was kind of come to an end until he, I think he caught a, a six-yard out route or something uh, to make sure he got one catch on the board. I couldn't agree with you more. We'll see. I mean, if, uh, you know, Evan Ingram's a rookie, I think Evan Ingram's a talented tight end. But, you know, he's got to get some chemistry with his quarterback. Brandon Marshall does. But one would think as long as Brandon Marshall has been around the NFL and as long as Eli Manning has been around in the NFL – um, it, it wasn't a surprise that Odell Beckham was 50-50 at best for that game. One would have thought they had some sort of a game plan besides what they came up with, and they completely did not. Real quick, guys, before we take a quick break, and then we're going to get into winners and losers. Pete, I don't know if you heard the announcement at the beginning. Um, you're very familiar with the concept of winners and losers. This week oh, yeah. I have four winners and four losers. And the reason I have four winners and four losers <laughs> is because this is the first football podcast we've done since January. So I've had a long time to kind of come up with winners and losers. So we are, uh, we're going to take a break. Before we do, let's talk a little bit of fantasy football. Um, um, Steve, Pete, how did you guys do this weekend in your first fantasy football game? Tell us a little bit about it. Well, uh, since Pete is not playing fantasy football this year, I'm going to go ahead and take the lead. Pete is off the sauce, guys. We had to get, put him in fantasy rehab. But um, <laughs> my, my fantasy team uh, won their first week out. It was, a, it was an excellent week, actually, carried by um, some pretty good play by, by Mr. Jonathan Stewart. That late touchdown won the game for me when he caught that ball for Carolina. But two major disappointments, Joe Mixon and Kelvin Benjamin. Woo! Just horrible, but I was able to eke out a win. There you go. So we we probably don't have time to get into it this week, but we probably should in a later week. It's big news that the Buffalo Bad Boy is out of fantasy football this year. So I look forward to hearing that story. My fantasy football week, guys, my fantasy football season began like most seasons began. Out of 12 teams in the league, I was the third highest scoring team. And I lost to the highest scoring team. So on Thursday night, I had Kareem Hunt. He was the only player that I had on my roster going. And I played against Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. And I remember thinking, if I can only be down 25 going into the weekend, I got a chance at winning. I was up 44 to 14 and ended up losing by 20 points because I played Adam Thielen who looked like uh, Jerry Rice this weekend uh, on uh, on the field, catching passes from Sam Bradford against a lifeless New Orleans Saints defense. And I also picked a very bad week to play against the Los Angeles Rams defense. Nine wow. points allowed, two defensive touchdowns, two interceptions, a fumble recovery, six sacks, and a safety. And so between Adam Thielen and the Los Angeles Rams defense, my opponent scored 62 fantasy points, which made the 44.2 fantasy points that Kareem Hunt scored pale into comparison. So, folks, (laughs) you can rest assured that the Patriots ball boys are in mid-season fantasy form. 0-1 <laughs> after being the third highest scorer in the league. We're going to take a quick 30-second break on the other end. We're going to start with our college football guru, Mr. Kip Kiefer, for winners and losers. We'll be right back.
for week one. We have uh, we have gotten to the point in the show where uh, we talk about winners and losers in the week in sports, and we are going to start uh, this week's show with winners and losers, as I said, with our college football guru, straight off WJOX in Birmingham, Alabama. Mr. Kip Kiefer, go ahead and give us your winners and your losers, sir, in the week in sports. Well, I, you know, I'm going to stick in the college football ranks uh, here initially. Um, I, I, I've got to say, uh, let's go the positive route. Let's go with the winners. And this is a guy that nobody would probably uh, suspect that, that I would identify, but I, I'm going to give the winner nod to one Will Muschamp, the much embattled Will Muschamp. Uh, what South Carolina has done in the first two weeks to go to a, quote, neutral site in Charlotte, North Carolina, and beat a heralded North Carolina State team who at times showed a lot of potential last year. I thought that was a great win for the Gamecocks. I was skeptical. You know, I, I never bought into Missouri. I don't even believe they belong in the SEC. I think it was a terrible addition. They really added them mostly for their basketball acumen, and they've been absolutely god-awful in basketball since they came in the league. <laughs> they did win the East Division a couple of years, but they're just not a good fit. The university's in, in a bad way. Uh, enrollment's down. It, it, it's just a real bad atmosphere there. So I'm not a big Mizzou fan, and my, and my son Case went to Kansas, so uh, it, 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 needless to say, uh, the family uh, bad blood, Kansas and Missouri folks do not like each other. But uh, with that said, I, I was very impressed that they went in there and uh, and completely throttled Missouri on their home field the second week in a row away from Columbia, South Carolina. They were in Columbia, Missouri, of course. But, uh, you know, Will Muschamp, who left Florida with the label of just kind of a buffoon and a bad coach and couldn't get the job done, I think he's done a pretty remarkable job at South Carolina to pick up really the, the rubble that Steve Spurrier let, literally walked away from um, so I, I'm going to give Will Muschamp uh, a little love here. A former Georgia Bulldog, uh, but just kind of an embattled guy who had uh, really kind of lost his shine. And, and for him to open the season in this resounding fashion, and they host Kentucky this week, I think uh, the Gamecocks are on their way to a 3-0 and start. And uh, who'd have thought Yeah, no, you're right. They could have easily been 0-2 going into this Kentucky game. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's too – I mean, you know, Missouri, we knew they were going to be able to score points. You knew their defense was, was really bad, and that's just the opposite of what they were a couple of years ago. They did ride a good defense to a couple of uh, SEC East titles when everybody else imploded at the wrong time. But, uh, yeah, uh, pretty impressive to win uh, two games away from home to start the season against uh, two opponents that on paper you would have suspected that they may not have been able to beat. Agreed, agreed. You got any more winners, Kip, or you want to straight straight to the uh, losers for the week? I'm going to go straight to the losers since you've got an extensive there you list. Go. I, I thought I thought my radio partner on our Sunday morning show, the morning after, Terry Quilliam, who is a uh, is a uh, fabulous uh, SEC football fan, uh, but she really follows everything. She does. She's not real high. And, and Pete, don't take this personally. Terry does not <laughs> like what she calls quote Yankee football. Uh, not high on it at all. And uh, so she was thrilled with the Georgia win at Notre Dame. But uh, Terry is really adamant. Uh, she says that we do a political show during the week, too, uh, on the talk, on talk 99.5 here. 
She says that the Big Ten is the sports equivalent of fake news. Uh, <laughs> I thought that I was bet she's a big fan of the Yankee and the White House, though, ain't she? So my loser for the week is the Big Ten. Ohio State, the golden boy of the uh, of the Big Ten crop, just embarrasses themselves at home, gets absolutely decimated by Oklahoma. Michigan with a big win over Florida the first week when Florida just didn't show up and could do nothing. Uh, Michigan goes home and literally struggles against the Cincinnati Bearcats. Um, you know, some of the shine, all this strutting around that, you know, the Big Ten, you know, the division with Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan is just so great. And Wisconsin, Nebraska goes out to Oregon and gets waxed. Uh, some of the shine's coming off the old Big Ten. So um, uh, until they turn things around here, I, I think uh, Yankee football got set back a little bit this week. The Big Ten is by losing. <laughs> I think that's a good winner and a good loser. It's it's very rare on any show that that Will Muschamp has ever called a winner. I've got a surprise winner this week too, who I've never had a winner before either. But I'll wait until we get done with other 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 co-hosts to go through their winners and losers. Mister Savage Burns, Steve Butler, why don't you give us your winners and losers this week in the world of sports? Well, I'm going to try to keep it brief and keep it to just a couple of piece, one for um, posterity's sake and a couple more recent. My first loser is going to be Chuck Pagano. And uh, for the reasons I stated earlier, uh, on our very first show, I talked about how bad Chuck Pagano was two years ago. And I'm here to reiterate what I said then. Now, it is unbelievable (laughs) that man has a job coaching in the NFL. His disorganization, his lack of planning, his inability to have any recognizable strategy in a football game was on full display as he lost miserably to the LA Rams or I guess the LA Rams now almost wanted to say St. Louis Rams. Um, it's hard to I say. Think, I think, yeah, it is. And I think Chuck, the day that he threw Andrew Luck under the bus on the reason why the Colts were bad at a press conference two years ago is the day that I thought he should go. So anyways, Chuck Pagano for his performance against the LA Rams. My other loser is going to be twofold, one for his performance on Sunday and one for his performance in the Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan lost by a touchdown to the Braves on Sunday. The Braves put up 10 points and Kyle Shanahan's <laughs> San Francisco 49ers only scored three points. The vaunted offensive genius that is the reason why the Falcons had so much success uh, only managed a field goal on Sunday and lost, what was it, 28-3 to or, or something like that. And, of course, um, he might have made the worst play calls in the history of football in the Super Bowl. So, Kyle Shanahan, we're going to go ahead and make him the loser of the century, not just the loser of the week. And uh, my my first winner of the week is going to be the state of Georgia, because anybody that watched the coverage of the game, of the Falcons game, and of the Bulldogs game, I mean, it was incredible. And so many times, Atlanta fans, we've had to suffer through Giants or New York fans or Chicago fans coming down to our venues and just overrunning the places and cheering for the teams, and, uh, you know, to the, to the detriment of the home team. And it was just nice to see Atlanta just completely take over the state of, of Illinois as all three teams came back victorious. I mean, that, that Cubs game was obnoxious. The, you had red jerseys yeah. and red shirts all over the place. It, it was pretty phenomenal. And my last winner, I think, is, is – I'm going to have two more winners, actually. Marcan Manuel. 
uh, the rookie defensive coordinator for the Falcons. He put up a heck of a display mm-hmm. on Sunday. Uh, he held, a, held the Bears to only 300 yards, 17 points. But what I like to see is 11 quarterback hits, including four sacks. Yeah. I think that was a marked improvement for the Falcons. And in the clutch, let's face it, the defense came through, and, and they, they helped secure a victory for the Falcons. So Markan Manuel will be my second winner. And my final winner, I think we all know who it's going to be. We spent the entire season of 2015 debating whether or not Matt Ryan was an elite quarterback or not. And then in 2016, of course, we didn't have the benefit of a show. But I think Matt Ryan has earned maybe the winner of the red zone so far. Um, I'll even go so far as to say that. His his MVP season, 5,000 yards, 38 touchdowns, only seven picks, 70% completion percentage. But here's the most impressive statistics that he had all season. His Super Bowl performance was the third best statistical performance in the history of the Super Bowl. He had 74% completed passes, almost 300 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Matt Ryan, by far, is my winner of the red zone. Now, Steve, I, I, I can't dispute that Matt Ryan is a winner. However, I do feel compelled to share with you and to tell you as a disclaimer, the rules of the red zone sports report are this. You can choose whomever you, you want for winners and losers for the week, but the rules are you can only pick them once a year. So I will give you, <laughs> since I didn't give those rules, and this is the first show of this season, I will allow some grace on Matt Ryan to be oh, chosen no, again. No grace, no grace needed. That was a winner for two whole years, Chip. I think okay, that feels okay, good. good. We're He's good. good. He's okay, good. We're good. Need I, I did break that that rule once last year in the three straight weeks I had Gus Malzahn as a loser, but, but I, I kind of felt like that was fitting because nobody else chose Gus Malzahn as a loser, and I thought they would, so I felt like I needed to call him out for being a loser. So there are some, there are some loopholes to that rule, and, uh, but I, I did at least feel compelled to share that Jeff, with you. Jeff, uh, Matt knowing Ryan's your love of Matt Ryan, I'm a big fan now. Um, and I hope Matt, because he's my fantasy football quarterback this year, so uh, <laughs> I have an even even more reason to love on Matt Ryan than I did before the season started. So very good winners and losers. Agree with you on Marquand Manuel. Uh, really excited to see his energy on the sidelines as well, and, um, and uh, I certainly hope to see an Atlanta Falcons defense this year that gets after it, and they, uh, they started week one well with a road win, so couldn't agree with that more. Mr. I was going to call you Savage Bird, Mr. Buffalo Bad Boy. Mr. Pete Tasca, give us your winners and your losers this week in the world of sports. Well, Chip, as the Savage Bird knows, and Chip, uh, you know, we, you had the opportunity to, to, to see the nose uh, that, that God graced me with. And, and, and by virtue of that, we, we have a little tagline that we used to attach to my fantasy escapades over the years, is that the nose is always sniffing around. And and with that, I'm still sniffing around the fantasy universe. I'm just no longer participating. I had to hang up the cleats. With that being said, I am still sniffing around. And so I'm going to go into the fantasy world for my winners and losers this week, Chip, because I just can't help myself. And unfortunately, the losers, and, I, and that's plural, the losers of this week, unfortunately, are the 99% of fantasy footballers who took David Johnson number yeah. one in their fantasy drafts. It's a yeah. shame. Yeah. I, I hate to rub your noses in it, but unfortunately, you're just probably not going to get where you wanted to go this year without David Johnson in your lineup. It, it's just a terrible turn of events. 
for the Arizona Cardinals and certainly fantasy footballers, David Johnson himself, all the way around. So uh, that's my loser of the week, those who chose David Johnson number one. And, again, he was the consensus number one pick. On the flip side, the, my, I have two winners. The first winner would be people exactly like yourself, Chip, who had the wherewithal to take a ball player like Kareem Hunt. Now, I don't know where yeah. you got him in yeah. the draft. But if you know Andy Reid and you know his history from Philadelphia to Kansas City, the guy has taken running back after running back after running back and turned them into yeah. these incredible elite fantasy ball players from Priest Holmes to Brian Westbrook to uh, Larry Johnson and on and on it goes. And Kareem Hunt is another in that long line. So kudos to all those who picked uh, Kareem Hunt in their fantasy draft. Those are my two winners. I've got one more winner. It would be college football fans who had the um, the privilege of sitting on their sofas from 7 p.m. to you know close yeah. to midnight on Saturday this past Saturday that they got a chance to to witness and to watch and to indulge in four great college football games going on simultaneously. It was just such an indulgence for me. I, I can't speak for anybody else, but I couldn't help myself that flipped through those four games from USC to Stanford, Georgia, Notre Dame. You got you had Ohio State and Oklahoma, and then sorry to say Clemson and Auburn, but it was still a good matchup. But what a slate yeah. of college football games, and it was just an absolute fiesta for those who enjoy college football the way I know all four of us do. It was just great. So that's my winner of the yep. week, the college football schedule makers in week two. Indeed, and and the winners of the week are the remote controls that guide all their TVs <laughs> because they were busy throughout. Uh, they, they were sure busy were. throughout they the sure entire were. time. So you are you're exactly right. Um, thank you for sharing that, uh, Pete. And I uh, I also, as part of my losers, had fantasy football owners who had drafted David Johnson. But the good news is I had mentioned earlier I had uh, I had four winners and four losers. So uh, you got one of my winners and one of my losers. My number one winner, and, and i got to give this guy credit, um, and the reason i got to give him credit is because I don't know that I've – I've watched this guy play football now for it seems like – it seems like 20 years. It seems like I've been watching Sam Bradford play football games as long as J.T. Barrett has been at Ohio State. And <laughs> Sam Bradford yesterday went 27 of 32 for 346 yards and three touchdowns. Never before when I started this podcast did I think in the winners and losers segment that I would ever be mentioning Sam Bradford as a winner. But I don't know what he did in the off season. Uh, in order to make him look like Joe Montana last night. But um, uh, but nonetheless, Sam Bradford is my winner of the week. One of the reasons I knew he had such a good game is because, as I had mentioned, I was playing against Adam Thielen. And in case you didn't realize it, he had 10 receptions for 146 yards, and um, he didn't have the two touchdowns that Stephon Diggs had. But in a PPR, in a full-point PPR league, it was enough for me to, to lose my draft and uh, or to lose my first-round um, game. And then secondly, you had mentioned it, Pete, Kareem Hunt, 17 carries, 148 yards, and a touchdown. And that's just rushing. Five receptions for 98 yards, two touchdowns. And this is from a rookie who fumbled his first touch 
in this same game. And not only his first touch in his first NFL game, oh, by the way, it was a primetime game on the road against the defending Super Bowl champion New England Patriots. So big shout-out to Kareem Hunt. Um, my third winner of the week, you got to give credit where credit is due, the Clemson defense and Brett Venables. Absolute dominating performance against Auburn. Um, I did have my hopes up. My expectations were that we were going to win that game, which is always the kiss of death. Um, Auburn seems to be doing a lot better when I don't expect much out of them. But you got to give Brett Venables credit. Their defense will be tested this weekend when they travel to Louisville and take on who I believe is the um, the number one player in college football in Lamar Jackson. Going to be an incredible match of strength versus strength, uh, him and that Clemson defense. So uh, kudos to Brett Venables and the Clemson defense. And then my final winner of the week is another rookie, uh, a third-round draft pick out of Northern Illinois, wide receiver for the Detroit Lions, Kenny Goladay. When I picked Kenny Goladay in the latter rounds of my fantasy football draft, uh, there were groans all over the room. What in the world? Who? Who? That's going to be the first right in. It's going to be the first right in. He's a tall kid, six foot five. 215 pounds. Um, yeah, I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be the number two receiver in Detroit for Matt Stafford in his uh, in his. Uh uh, in his first game as a rookie in the NFL, four receptions for 70 yards, two touchdowns. Unfortunately, he was on my bench. Had I started Kenny Goladay, I would have been the number one scorer in my league for the week in one. But big kudos to Kenny Goladay. Hopefully it's a, it's a harbinger of things to come for the young rookie out of Northern Illinois. Four losers for the week. My four losers for the week. Uh, Andy Dalton. Um, Four interceptions, one fumble, leads his team to a shutout, zero points for a grizzled veteran in week one of the NFL season. It doesn't matter who you are playing. There is no excuse, no excuse whatsoever for a stat line by, uh, like that by Andy Dalton. So Andy Dalton, loser for the week. Second loser of the week is going to be Sean Payton, the head football coach of the New Orleans Saints. At the end of the first half, Payton had two timeouts remaining, and Minnesota was content with running the ball and going into halftime with a small lead. Um, Sean Payton decides he's going to burn his two timeouts so he can try to give his listless offense at the time one last crack at the ball with 57, 56 seconds left. Because Sean Payton called two timeouts, Minnesota um, uh, had to come up with a play on third down that was different than had it been. Had they been running out the clock, they did so. And Sam Bradford completed a 25-yard pass to Adam Thielen for a first down. Not only did it let the Minnesota Vikings get into field goal range, but they ended up scoring a touchdown on that drive. So uh, had Sean Payton not gotten greedy, um, Minnesota would have gone to the locker room uh, with a lead, but it would not have been a seven-point lead. My third loser for the week, and um, uh, Pete had already mentioned it, those uh, people who drafted David Johnson as the number one pick, (laughs) Mr. Savage Byrne, you will be happy to hear that in the Justice League, which you used to be a part of with me, that would be Mr. Nick Garcia, who took Mr. David Johnson. 
number one. Mr. Nick Garcia, whose first running back was Joe Mixon, who had nine yards on eight carries, and whose first quarterback, who, by the way, was the third quarterback taken in the draft, was Jameis Winston. That's correct, folks. Jameis Winston was taken in the Justice League as the third quarterback off the board. Third quarterback off the board. Nick Garcia had had, um, really enjoyed himself on the golf course that day. And and he had consumed in 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 some um, let's say libations that I think probably clouded his judgment a little bit at um, probably clouded his judgment a little bit for the uh, for the draft. So uh, hated for all those fantasy football owners. Not for Nick. Uh, I give Nick a hard time. He ended up winning this week, and I ended up uh, losing this week. So uh, the joke is on me. My final loser for the week. I'm going to switch to NASCAR. Danica Patrick. Long a staple for the uh, uh, the NASCAR series. She lost her ride today with Stuart Haas Racing, and unless she can get a sponsor and a new ride, Danica Patrick will not be a part of the NASCAR lineup for the 2018 season. So Danica Patrick, loser today as well. Guys, I've enjoyed it. It has flown by an hour and a half has flown by as it always does but uh again want to thank kip steve and pete for joining me again for another year of the red zone sports report and folks we will be back next tuesday same place same time 8 30 eastern p.m on the 19th of september we're going to be uh going over uh what is a, a lighter week in college football um but will surely be exciting can't wait to talk about the clemson louisville game um florida state miami postponed because of hurricane irma and then the only other game featuring top 25 teams will be the tennessee volunteers and the florida gators but i'm sure week two of the nfl will provide just as much if not more storylines than we had at week one so thanks everybody for listening on our inaugural show of the 2017 season thanks again to kip steve and pete for joining us and thanks everybody for listening we'll catch you next week same place Same time, Red Zone Sports Report.